Come on back in. As we prepare ourselves for worship this morning, I want to read from you an excerpt from the speech that our brother Abwe gave to a delegation from Washington, D.C. He was part of the Canopy Group that went to Washington, D.C. to give voice and to lobby on behalf of increasing the number of refugees that were allowed into our country. And his, his overall letter is stunning, and it's going to be posted as a blog post this week on our website, so you can read the full thing there. But as we prepare, I want to read just from one part of what he said um, to our Senator, John Bozeman, to our Representative, uh, Steve Womack, and their staff. And this is in the middle of his presentation. We come to you having fled from all-out wars, massacres, genocide, and in parentheses he said, even if it hadn't received that title, I believe it is fitting as more than six million souls have been murdered in the Democratic Republic of Congo since the conflict began. Rape of our women and girls and the resulting spread of autoimmune disease among our people, stalled education, lack of health care or hygiene, all of these things have taken the lives of innocent people every day. We have witnessed the violation of human rights, democracy and independence, the oppression and suppression of voters, and we have watched all these things repeat themselves over and over again as our country lives and relives the cycles of war and massacre. Then there were the refugee camps where we suffered from malnutrition, depending on rations that were always fluctuating and never enough, insufficient drinking water, and perpetual outbreaks of diseases such as malaria. Arriving here in the U.S. was like being raised from the dead. As we practice Lent this year, or this season and this year, one of the things that we're focusing on is forgiveness. The things in ourselves, the things in others, the things in our experiences that we need to forgive. We can differ on how to do this. We can differ on policies and procedures. But one thing we have to be absolutely committed to is to seeing others as we see ourselves and as we see Jesus. Not as statistics, not as others, but as Christ himself. So join me in this prayer of repentance and forgiveness for not seeing others that way. Lord, we hear the words of our brother. May they form our imagination. May they form our responses and our actions. And we ask your forgiveness where we have shut our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our homes to those who suffer so tragically and unnecessarily. And we ask, we pray that you would grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to love and wills to obey. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. 
Well, welcome everybody. My name is John Ray. Welcome if you're on, listening on the podcast, if you're watching on Facebook Live. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. Um, we're really glad you're here. We're really glad you're here. And as I, as I mentioned, our, the, the full um, text of Abwe's speech is going to be on our website along with our learning guide. We have a learning guide that goes along with every message that we do on Sunday morning. So you can get an idea of what the text is, and then you can go along and have tools to discern that, to work through that text uh, in your individual devotions and as part of your grace group. There's, there's the format for doing that, and I encourage you to do that this week. And part of preparing that is when we all get together on Tuesday mornings at Onyx Cafe at 6.30 in the morning around the round table out there in Tiny Town, and we talk about the text. And after I finished up this week and I was driving away from the meeting, I got a call from Alex. And he was like, dude, what's up? <laughs> I'm like, what? He goes, you were, you were mad this week. I was like, what, what do you mean? He goes, you got really frustrated in the teaching meeting. And, and I thought about it, and I guess I really was. I was frustrated, and I, and I was frustrated until yesterday morning when finally the source of my frustration was revealed. Because we're going to talk about a text that, is, that in one sense seems very clear in its intention. It seems very clear in what it's saying, but at the same time, if we take it on the surface, it seems to contradict a lot of other things that we believe about the Bible. So there was conflict, there was tension. And I've been around this block a few times before. I've been around this block of talking, well, is it grace? Is it works? Is it action? Is it faith? What, how do we balance those things? And I just said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of having this conversation. Not this conversation here. But this conversation that pits what we do and what we believe against each other as if they were two totally separate realms that we operated in one or the other and we were constantly switching back and forth between them it's just not that way so I want you to hold that in your mind as we look at this text and then I make some observations about it and we study it together this week so we're looking at Matthew 25 starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be assembled, make note, all the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate people from one another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, I'll tell you the truth, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart, depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not receive me as a guest, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not give you whatever you needed? Then he will answer them, I tell you the truth, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will depart into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Friends, there will come a time when everything is revealed. This is good news, bad news, and good news again. As we'll see. And see, the bottom line is that our habits are tattletales. What we do cannot help but be a bald-faced truth-teller about what is in our hearts, revealing what we are thinking, revealing what we are hiding. And our actions are the synthesized product our actions are the synthesized product of our attentions, our affections, and our actions, what we do. How we act reveals what we believe. Our habits are the patterns of our actions that, have create, that are created by consistent repetition until we no longer have to choose to do the thing. We may understand and experience the benefit of it, or we may not. It doesn't matter. We do it. We are all ruled by these habits. We all act according to a pattern that's been established by what we've given our attention to, by what we've given our affections to, by what we have choos chosen to act on. You know, I pulled my bike up here this morning, and I talk a lot about what it takes to, to really be into biking, besides having a bike, Right? But a, but a huge part of that is intention beforehand. So when I commute on my bike, I don't decide when I wake up whether or not I'm going to ride my bike that day. Because chances are, if I decide in the moment, I'm going to drive. It's easier. It takes less work. It takes a lot less effort to go grab my keys off the thing and go start the car than it does to, okay, i got to make sure chain oiled, tires pumped, got my helmet, got my glasses, got my clothes, where am I going to go? What do I need to take with me? How far is it? If I have to decide all that in the moment, I'm not going to ride. Most of the time. Sometimes, yeah, but most of the time I'm not going to do it. So what I have to do is the night before is lay out all that stuff. I have to go out the night before. Okay, is the bike ready? Do all the repairs. Do all the stuff that I have to do. Lay out my clothes. Think through my day. Where am I going to be? What am I going to go? Who am I going to see? What do I need to take with me? Pack it in my bag. And then when I get up in the morning, the choice is already made for me. It's just as easy and a lot more rewarding to ride my bike than it is to drive the car. 
And I can always bail to train in. I can bail. I can drive a car. But I've got everything ready with it. That's, that's how our habits are formed, is we choose to do things. We have to be intentional about doing it. That's how our good habits are formed, I should say. You see, we're all establishing habit patterns for good or for bad. It's not a question of are you going to establish patterns? Are you going to establish habits? The question is what kind? And the things that are good for us, the things that are life-giving, the things that develop in us a sense of purpose and health and those things, those take intention. They take thoughtfulness. In a way, it takes sacrifice. And it takes ongoing repetition, choosing to do it for those things to form. But the selfish, the shallow, the easy, we don't have to work very hard at those habits. We don't have to work very hard. Those come natural. Those things, it's easy to find all the justifications we need to take the easy path, to do the thing that takes the less effort, the least effort, to do the thing that feels good in the moment. So we're all establishing habits, good or bad. These habits reveal what we think about things. These habits reveal what we have chosen. And here's the thing. We're ultimately going to be judged on those habits. We are going to be judged on what we do with that. There's no separation from what we do and what we believe. And here's where I got bent out of shape a little bit this week. Here's where I really got frustrated. But then yesterday, it struck me. As I was thinking back over this past, and I'm going, well, why? Then it's just all works. Right? Because if we look at it that way, we go, it's just going to be, just like, just like Islam believes, there's just going to be this scale. And there's going to be good works and bad works. And we're just going to be judged like everything else, just like the world says. Because it's not, just, it's not just other religions that teach us. It's what the world says is compete, get ahead, work hard, use your own effort, be moral with these things. And all the focus is on the action. And I was thinking back over this passage and I thought, what, what is the thing that's what is the thing that I can't get over? What is the thing that's stuck in my craw that I can't get out with this? And you know, the thing was this. In the middle of all of it, and it's so easy to miss, because we've read this so often, is this role of imagination. Because listen to this. In the middle of it, both the righteous and the unrighteous have the same response. They said, Lord, when did we see you? That doesn't make sense. If this is about our actions, just about being judged on our actions. The whole thing hangs on this. If the righteous had said this, if when he says, hey, when, you, when I was sick, you took care of me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And the righteous responded, Lord, it was our pleasure. 
Thank you for presenting yourself to us in the form of the stranger. Thank you for presenting yourself to us in the form of the sick and the prisoner, the hunger, the one who was hungry and thirsty. Then they have something to stand on. They have something to measure their righteousness by. They saw it and they responded, of course they're good. Of course that's what we need to do. We just need to see and respond. But they didn't. They had the same response as the unrighteous. Lord, when did, we, when did we see you? They were equally oblivious. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Pastor and theologian Dan White recently wrote this. He said, we have oversold the, and he uses quotes here, personal relationship with Christ. We've cultivated a narcissistic, individualistic, self-help imagination for relating with God. In this paradigm, God's mission is an afterthought. Community is an addendum. And holiness is a stop doing bad things. And I could not agree more. When we reduce Christianity to this personal relationship with God, it's all about me. It's all about what I get. It's all about just me being okay after I die, being with Jesus. And everything else becomes extra. Everything else becomes optional. And it cauterizes our imagination for the kingdom. Let me be clear. To not recognize Jesus in others is an utter and tragic failure of our imaginations. Okay, it is. To not see Christ in other people, the poor, the hungry, the refugee, the prisoner, the sick, that's an utter failure of our imaginations. It's a tragic failure of our wills. It is to be blinded by the immediate, the individual, the disincarnate experience of a life where God is far off, dispassionate, and disengaged. But it is also true, and I am so guilty of this myself. It is also true that even at my very best, even at my most spiritual, I can only maybe conceive a sliver of how things really are. It's tragic that I don't see Jesus in other people, but it's true. It's true. Even at my most spiritual, my most humble, I struggle. And that, friends, is why it is called faith. We walk, however haltingly, along the kingdom road, investing in what the world calls foolish. Worshiping a Savior who is a stumbling block to the perishing. Counting all things at loss for the sake of knowing Him whom the world rejects as weak, comical, and worst, inefficient and unrealistic. All of us, all of us are called to lay down our own lives and follow a ridiculed and rejected leader who is working out 
Not just salvation for the individual souls, but for the destruction of every system, institution, government, and culture that dehumanizes, oppresses, commodifies, and consumes our brother image bearers, our sister reflections of Jesus. Even when we cannot recognize them as they truly are. You see, we are called to not see first and then follow. If they had said, yes, Lord, thank you for showing us Jesus so that we could do those nice things, then it's works. But they didn't see Jesus in the sick. The righteous never saw Jesus in the poor. They never saw Jesus in the hungry or the thirsty or the prisoner. But they did it anyway. They responded anyway. We are not called to see first and then to follow, but to follow and then maybe, maybe not, but surely one day see. It may not be here, but one day we will. God's judgment is on our actions, yes, But how much more on the imagination that drives our actions? How much more are we judged by investing our attention and our affections and our actions in vain, selfish, superficial, and self-serving things? How much more are we guilty of refusing to see others as we see ourselves, much less see them as they truly are? Christ alive in 10,000 places. Christ, alive in the refugee camps and the migrant caravans. Christ, alive in the politicians and pundits of the other political party. Alive in our neighbors who suffer silently with disabilities and unbearable debts. Christ, alive in the homelands of others that have been stolen or used as toxic garbage, garbage heaps so that we can live pristine existences. Christ alive in our own brothers and sisters gathered here this morning, desperate to feel something, anything that can break the chains of addiction, rejection, abuse, shame, depression, isolation, longing. The hungry, the thirsty, prisoner, the sick, out there and in here. We cannot wait until Christ somehow miraculously reveals himself in the face of one of those, of one of us. We must instead choose now to do what is right to love justice, seek mercy, walk humbly, give without expecting anything in return. It is faith in the beginning. It is faith in the middle. And it is faith at the end. Our actions are reflections of that.
And that's why they're judged here. But make no mistake, it is all about faith in this passage. That is what is rewarded in this text, is their faith, not their sight. The righteous no more saw Jesus in the faces of those they visited, of those that they ministered to and sacrificed for, than the ones that ignored them. But they did it anyway. That's the faith that's being rewarded here. The faith that looks at a person and sees an enemy, but loves them anyway. The faith that is revolted by the afflicted, but comforts them anyway. The faith that is terrified of the immigrant, but welcomes them anyway. The faith that abhors the violence done by the criminal, but visits them anyway. The faith that sees the failures of the fallen, but sacrificially gives to them anyway. Faith in the beginning. Faith in the middle. Faith in the end. And listen, church, we get to do this. This is not, this is not burdensome. What is burdensome are the chains of fear and selfishness. What is oppressive is our own need, our own enslavement to comfort and control. That is oppressive. We are being offered freedom here. And that's what is finally the good news of this passage. We get to do this. We get to live this way. We are invited and empowered to live for others. To freely and generously give our lives away to others. But the question before us today is, will that become our habit? Will that be the thing that marks our actions and our lives? And let me be 100% clear here. If you have a faith right now that you claim as a faith in Jesus that is leading you to be cold towards the needs of others and comfortable where you are, that is a faith that is leading you to hell. That is a faith that is leading you straight to hell and you can put a cross on it and dress it up with all the Jesus language you want and sing all the hymns you want. It will not do you one damn bit of good. Now I'm shaken to say those words because I know they apply to me a hundred times more than anybody who's hearing them. And I have struggled as these words came to me yesterday through this time. But if there is an ounce of love in me, it is going to say them so that none of us, myself included, are deceived. So we have a choice, Grace Church. Each of us and all of us, we have a choice. 
where are we going to invest? Where are we going to choose to put our attention? Our affection? Our allegiances? Where are we going to do that? Because there are things that will lead us to habits that lead us to hell. And there are things that we can do to invest in that lead us closer to Jesus. And that's the choice we have today and every day. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to spend some time reflecting on this. And you may get up and leave and never come back. And I understand that. But what I hope you'll do is think about this. Wrestle with it. Argue with it. Scream against it if you have to. Call me names. That's fine. I get called names all the time. But don't ignore it. Just don't ignore it. And as you come and approach this table this morning, I was reminded of how the, the disciples didn't, they couldn't recognize Jesus until they broke the bread. After his resurrection, he was among them and they didn't recognize him. Then he broke the bread and they recognized him. This communion table is that place to come to have your eyes opened, to have your ears open this morning. Come take the broken bread. Have Jesus revealed for who Jesus is. Not just Jesus, but each of us and all of us everywhere. From those who look like us, smell like us, talk like us, to those who threaten us and scare us and overwhelm us. Everyone. Come to this table to have your eyes open. Come to this table to receive the grace that is necessary to respond. Come to the invitation to invest your life in the kingdom so that when the time comes, you will not have to fear. There'll be no fear. You may not have recognized it, but the reward will be there. Thank you.